We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. Did you guys know, by the way, that bunnies don't lay eggs? It's true. I've been lied to my whole life to believe that they do. And so it's like, where does that come from, right? Like, why bunnies? Why eggs filled with candy on Easter? And there's actually a lot of theories, and some of them kind of make sense, right? Uh, The best one that I've heard and, and I think might be true is back in the day for the early church who was celebrating Easter, uh, Bunnies were a sign of fertility. Kids, you can ask your parents why. And then eggs were also a sign of new life, right? And so especially if you, uh, now with the little plastic ones we get, I don't know how that's new life, but you open it and there's like like gift inside, right? It's candy. And so there's going to be an Easter egg hunt after this, and that's great. We're going to enjoy that. Uh, Just to let you know some more of what's going on, there's going to be baptisms after this too. And I think that is a much greater celebration and symbol and picture of what we're truly celebrating today. And so we have a few people who have already said they want to be baptized. We'll do that on the lawn after this. Just so you know what's coming before that, if you've never been here before, I'll talk for about an hour right now. And I'm just kidding. 25 minutes, all right? Set your timers. I'll talk for a little bit. We're going to look in the scripture. Uh, We're going to take communion together as well. Anthony will come back up and lead us in communion. That's another symbol of what Jesus did for us on Friday. And then we'll do what we do on the lawn with the baptisms for what Jesus did today on Easter, right? And we'll sing a couple more songs together. So I just kind of wanted to give you the lay of the land if you're like checking your watch. I know you see a lot of family on Easter and things like that. That way you can be prepared. Also, if you have any kids with you, that table back there by the door has some coloring sheets, some clipboards, some colored pencils, and things like that. And sometimes it's really just a great way to follow along. Like, I don't mind if you're doodling Spider-Man either. That's cool too. Sometimes doing something with your hands helps you to focus and pay attention. So, sound good? Hey, we're going to read from John chapter 19, and I'm going to pick up in verse 40, if you would turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible, It's going to be up here on the screen as well. Uh, But there are a couple Bibles laying around on the tables here. Starting in John 19, verse 40, we're hearing what happened once Jesus did die. And and don't worry, if like you're hearing this for the first time, we're going to dive into that a little bit and talk about why Jesus died and why that even matters, okay? Uh, But just so you know, setting the stage, that's where we're jumping into the story at this moment is Jesus had just died a brutal, horrific, torturous, death on a cross. And that's two wooden beams that were nailed together and splinters were digging into his back, crown of thorns piercing into his head as a mockery symbol. Oh, you're the king, right? He was stripped naked and humiliated in front of everybody, shamed. He was whipped. He was beaten. Nails were literally driven through his skin to hold him to those wooden beams. And then they pierced his side so he would die a little faster. That's what just took place. And now in verse 40, they took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices according to their burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. On the first day of the week, 
This is chapter 20 now. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Think of a giant boulder, like the one that chases Indiana Jones. That's too old of a reference for many of you here. Giant, huge boulder, like it was not easily moved, okay? She saw the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in, saw, and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it you are seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he said to her. This is God's word. God, would you be with us this morning? As we sit here, as we sing, as we talk together, as we laugh, as we celebrate, as we partake in communion and baptism, as kids look for eggs with things in them, God, as we go through all of these activities, would your spirit, your presence be here with us right now? God, help us to hear your word, to receive your word, to understand it, and most importantly, to be transformed by your word, Father. Spirit, be at work in this place and with these people. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This weekend is such a contrast between both death and life, isn't it? And in my job and the work I do, I actually get to step into those types of moments all the time with people. So I get to do things like dedicate babies, right? It's a celebration of life. I get to do things like officiate wedding ceremonies. Again, a celebration of life. But I also get tasked sometimes with performing funeral services, a loss of death. And a lot of times these days, those happen in church buildings that look much different than this fellowship hall, uh, kind of in North buildings, and it's, it's decorated nicely, and there's a stage, and there's lots of room for people to fill it because 
people are mourning and they want to come and be together. But there's one funeral I did that stands out to me because it wasn't in a church building. It was in Oregon and it was on top of a mountain. And we were overlooking these rolling hills. And there was a vineyard right next to it. And I don't know if you guys know this, but in Oregon, there's this thing they have called rain. It's water that comes from the sky, like all the time too. And so everything there is green and blossoming and just teeming with life. And again, such a contrast as we were sitting there mourning the loss of someone who had died. And yet you see life sprouting up all around you. That's really what what Easter is all about. And what was fascinating to me in that moment is I stood there and I saw that the same soil contained a graveyard and a garden. Out of the same soil, people were laid to rest and life was sprouting up. And I I don't think that that is far off from what happened right here in John 19 and 20, what we just read. Do you find it interesting that John, who's writing this, puts in a small little detail there, like, by the way, there was a garden. There was a garden right there. And there was a tomb, a new tomb in the garden. And then when Mary sees Jesus, she doesn't know it's him at first. She thinks he's the gardener. Now, I've read that a bunch of times in my life, and I always just thought, that's such an odd little detail to put in there, right? Like, it's full of odd details, by the way. Uh, John, being the one who wrote this, is most likely the disciple whom Jesus loved. Like, don't you like that that's the way he talks about himself? By the way, uh, then the guy who Jesus really loved the most, right? And then he puts in this little detail, like, yeah, so me and Peter, we were running, but I outran him. And when he finally caught up and got to the tomb, he went inside, right? Like, so he puts in these little details. But listen, nothing in the Bible is actually there just by happenstance. It's all doing something. It's all saying something. And if we scratch the surface and dig a little deeper, we'll find what it's actually getting us to. And so this detail in here about the garden being where the tomb is and Jesus being mistaken for the gardener, I think tells us a lot about what's really happening in this moment. Now, those of you who haven't been here before and you see these like weird symbols up on the stage here and you're wondering, did I just like sit in a cult service right now? What, what is this, right? We have them sitting over uh, in our living room and sometimes people come over and be like, hey, are those cheat codes for your Xbox game? Like, what is this, right? And so this is a, a stylized version of arrows, okay? That one's an X, you can tell that. And that one's a cross, you can tell that. The other one's arrows pointing some way. And what they are is actually a shorthand way for us as a, as a community to remind ourselves that all of this is telling one story. It's the story from the very beginning of all things at creation, which you would find in the pages of Genesis here, to the very renewal of all things. No, I didn't say the very end of all things. The renewal and restoration of all things which you would find in books like Revelation. And it's the story not only of this Bible, but it's the story of the world that we live in. And so a lot of our Missio kids know this really well. When God, that first arrow, it's a down arrow because God comes down, right? And he actually walks and talks with the humans, the first two humans. 
in a particular place. Kids, do you remember where that place is? You can just say it. It's a garden, right? It's a garden. I'm convinced that God wants all of us to be like botanists or gardeners or something to that effect, okay? Uh, not, not maybe necessarily just with plants, but let me explain. So God creates this paradise, this place teeming with life for the humans to live in. Now listen, when he first made them though, we're told that God forms the man out of the dirt from the ground, out of the soil. There was no rain yet, which means nothing had been growing, but there was some water springing up from underneath the ground, and so he uses it like mud and he, like clay. He forms this guy together. And then he breathes his own breath into this man and suddenly he has life. And then it says he took the man and placed him in a garden he had prepared for him. So catch that. He was made outside of that first. We were told outside of the garden was called wild and waste. It was a wasteland. It was a desert. It was a wilderness place. But he makes a safe zone. He makes a, a beautiful home in paradise for the man and the woman to live in. And he calls them to care for it and tend to it. Like they were actually to tend to the garden. And they could watch over all the animals and the creatures there. And they were God's representatives. Unfortunately, what happens, and I'll, I'll cut the story a little bit short. Okay, the story a little short for you. I'll, I'll give you the condensed version. What happens is the two humans rebel against God. They say, hey, we don't need you to tell us how to live, we could decide on our own what's right and what's not right, what's good and what's bad. We don't need your ways, my ways are what will be done. And because of that, when you rebel against the one who gave you life, you get cut off from life. And God had warned them, if you do that, in that day, you will surely die. Now, those of you who know the story, they didn't physically die that day, did they? but they were exiled. They were sent back into the wilderness outside of the garden. He says, from dust you came into dust you'll return. Go back to that wasteland where you came from. And they're sent away from the garden. And you know what happens is right there at the entrance of the garden, he places a warrior angel with a fiery sword to guard it. Like you try to get back in there, you will die for sure, physically. And so they're sent away. And no, they didn't physically die right away, but they started to experience the onset of death. Their bodies started to ache and slowly over time would wear down. They had children, just like God called them to do. But one brother got jealous of another brother and ended up murdering him. They certainly faced death. And even before they faced death themselves, the first man and woman, they experienced the loss and the pain of it. But they also experienced the death of relationships and the death of wholeness as they were filled with fear and shame and guilt. Now listen, that doesn't sound too different from our experiences today, does it? We've all experienced loss and pain. Many of us experience fear, anxiety, depression, shame, guilt. Happy Easter, right? Don't worry. The story doesn't end there. The story isn't over. 
because God did not give up on his people. Now God, the good gardener who would tend to that garden even though the people failed to, he also is tending to the people he made out of the soil. And he is going to restore us back to what we were intended to be and to bring us back into our rightful place and position as garden tenders. I don't mean you got to grow some grapefruit or some tomatoes in your backyard necessarily, all right? Because I don't eat either of those things. But what God has called us to do is to care for and cultivate the world we live in, to bring goodness to it, to tend to it. And that plays out in so many different ways. In your workplace, at your school kids, with how you treat your neighbors, your loved ones, your enemies. And through pain, we're still called to be the same humans God made us to be. Through the thorns and the thistles of life, we still tend to the garden. We still care for this world. And though we fail at it time and time again, God has not failed and he has not given up. So do you find it interesting that here we are thousands of years later from that part of the story at this part of the story here and we're, call, we're called attention to a garden again, aren't we? By the way, there's a garden right there with a new tomb. No one's ever been laid in. And because they, they didn't want to go all the way over to where the other tombs were and because it was what they call the day of preparation, uh, they're getting ready for the Sabbath. And so they, they, don't, they don't do a lot of work right there. They said, well, let's just put them here where there's a garden. That was not a coincidence. God knew what he was doing. Jesus hung on a place called Skull Hill. That's what it's called, death. And yet he was about to rise out of a garden, new life. It's not a coincidence. So Jesus goes into the soil there, right? The same God who formed the first man out of the soil, the dirt of the ground, and breathed his breath into him, actually made himself like one of us. Still with the breath of God, the spirit of God, fully, fully engaging all of who he is. And yet walking around as one made out of dirt, as one from the ground, And just like he told that first man, from dust you came to dust you'll return, Jesus, who is fully God but in the form of man, did exactly that in our place. He went into the ground from dust to dust. But because he is also God, no grave could hold him there. And the good gardener was still at work to cultivate his world. The good gardener was still at work to spring forth new life where it had once been lost. I can't even help my trees to grow in my own backyard, but God is ensuring that life is sprouting up all around us. Interestingly, there was an angel guarding the garden so they couldn't come back. And who does Mary see in the tomb? Two angels sitting there, keeping watch. But listen, instead of holding a fiery sword and bringing certain death if she tried to pass through, instead, they're guarding the tomb, saying, no, no, don't come this way. Turn around and face the garden. 
Don't come toward the grave. Look at the garden. You won't find what you're looking for here. You're looking for Jesus. He's alive. Look over there. And instead of being sent away from paradise, she's turned toward it. And she sees Jesus. Now listen, I don't know why she thought he was the gardener. Like, did he, was he wearing a costume? I don't know. Like, was she just in so much grief that she was bawling and she couldn't even look at him? She just assumed that there's a figure there. It's gotta be the gardener because I know Jesus is dead. Like, I don't know. But that's not really the point. The point John's trying to make here when he wrote this is that Mary is not that far off when she assumes that Jesus is the gardener because he is the one who is helping new life to grow where there was once death. And then listen to this beautiful exchange that happens here. She's like, hey, tell me, tell me where you put him. Where's Jesus? Tell me where he is. I, I need to go. I'll, I'll take care of the body, please. And instead of Jesus saying, hey, it's me. Mary, look, just look, look at my face. It's me, right? That's, that's what I would have done. It's me. He doesn't do that. He looks at her and he says her name, Mary. He reveals who he is by calling to her. And she hears her name said by Jesus. And suddenly she knows who he is. And I think suddenly she knows who she is. Because yes, God is the gardener who is making sure that life is teeming all throughout the world, the whole universe, the cosmos. He is restoring life where there once was death. But also, also, Jesus is a personal, loving, caring king who comes to you and says, don't, don't look at the tomb. You won't find what you're looking for there. Don't look at the things that you're trying to place your hope in today, whether it's your career, whether it's, it could be even your family members, like there's some good things, right? But, but don't look at these things that will one day return to dust as all things do. You won't find what you're looking for there. Turn and look toward the garden where life is growing and you'll see the gardener and Jesus will come to you and he will call you by name. And you will know who he is and you will probably finally know more fully who you are too. The great garden who's at work bringing life to all things has also come to you personally to call you by name and say, come and have life. Resurrection doesn't stop at Jesus. The Bible tells us later, he is called the first fruits of the resurrection, that now all who would place their trust in him would find life. You know, there's another garden that happened right before this too, when Jesus was about to be betrayed, he was praying in a garden also. And when he was tempted to walk away from the hard thing that God had called him to do, he knew he was gonna die. Do you know what he said? Father, if it's at all possible, would you take this from me? But not my will, your will. When the first man 
effectively said to God, not your ways, my ways. I could do this on my own. Jesus comes to reverse that curse and to usher in a new way for you to be fully human, who you were meant to be. And he says, no, Father, not my will, your will. So that now all of us who would say, Jesus, not my ways. I'm tired of chasing after the things I think will bring me life. They only fail me. But your way, Jesus. Jesus, whatever your way is, I submit to that. I surrender to that. And through that, you will actually pass through what feels like a death, right? The tomb, the grave. But you will sprout up with new life out of the garden because Jesus is the gardener who will ensure that that happens. And I pray that that would happen for all of us who are in this room today. Would you pray with me? God, we... We are in desperate need of you. And though we try to fool ourselves many times and think that we have things under control, we try to imagine that we have figured out life. God, we know deep down at our core that we don't know what we're doing, that we're at a loss. Not one of us can add a single day to our life through all of our struggling, but you are the giver of life. And so God, would your spirit come and breathe new life into us? God, would you help each of us to turn away from the things that would bring death and turn toward you, Jesus? God, would we surrender? Would we submit ourselves and say, not our ways, but your ways, Jesus? And in that, may we find new life and may we find you, And may we find a little bit more about who you've created us to be. God, that we can experience a little glimpse of resurrection life, even here and now in the midst of a broken world. As we hold on to the hope that one day, Jesus, you are returning and you will restore all things and we will experience the fullness of life forever if we submit to you as king. God, would you grant that for us in Jesus' name, amen.